Our reading is from Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see live faces again after a little bit of a break. It's good to be with you. Um, before I start, I wanted to actually say something to our creative team, a shout out to them, because this, obviously, being creative is tough, and, and I've been part of the creative team, so I know what, at times where you get stuck and you're trying to come up with something creative, but like this time around, I don't know about you, but I think like it's been amazing, right? So yeah, why don't we, yeah, great job. And that seems to coincide with me leaving the creative team. So, you know, but I'm fine with that. If my absence leads to more creativity, then, then I don't mind not being there. So you can't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. This is one of the things that we have about how we can't just say we're going to do something, but that we have to actually do what we say we're going to do. We have other sayings such as actions speak louder than words. This person has all bark and no bite. Or put your mouth, no, put your money where your mouth is. And all these sayings are similar to what Jesus seems to be saying in our passage today. There are two sons. By the way, just so you know, it's not two sons. The Greek, I think Ben would tell you is true, is the word technon, which means child and not necessarily a son. So two children. So here, Jesus tells this parable of a father who asks his two children to come and work in his vineyard. The first child says no, but then changes his mind and does it. The second child says yes, but then doesn't. Jesus then asks the question, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first. And yes, we would also agree that the first child did what the father wanted because even though she may have said no, she went and ended up doing the thing that the father wanted. Hence, you got to not only talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. What if I said to you, though, that this parable isn't just a simple moral lesson on walking the talk or walking the walk? What if this parable wasn't only about walking the walk, but something more? And let's look at why Jesus tells this parable. Jesus enters into the temple courts, and while he was teaching there, the chief priests and elders, or they came and asked him this question, by what authority are you teaching? I like the translation by Eugene Peterson. He says, 
show us your credentials, Jesus. Like, who are you? Why are you teaching here? What degrees do you have? And who says you can even teach here? The chief priests and the elders are part of the Sanhedrin, who were the ruling council of the temple. And so in many ways, it makes sense that they were questioning Jesus. You know, we are responsible for the temple and therefore are responsible for who teaches in this temple. I never gave you permission to teach her. Who says you could even do this? Jesus does the Jesus thing, which is to answer a question with a question. And he asks this question. He says to the chief priests and the elders, asks this question about John the Baptist. And says, Jesus asks, where did John's baptism come from? Was it from heaven or was it from human origin? And they deliberated and they said, we don't know. And the reason why they say we don't know is because if they were to say that John's baptism was from heaven, then Jesus would then say, then why didn't you believe in me? But if they were to say it was from human origin, they were worried about what the people would have done and said about them because many people thought John was a prophet. So they just say, we don't know. So it's within this context that Jesus tells this parable. And this is important for us to know because of what Jesus says, af says after the parable was told. Verse 31. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. They mean, being you know, the chief priests and the elders. Up to this point, this parable is just a nice moral lesson that everyone understood. Yes, it is more important to walk the walk than just talking the talk. What Jesus says following is what is so scandalous to those who would have heard this parable. Remember, the chief priests and the elders have made it in their profession. You can't really climb much higher on the social or professional ladder than these individuals. They were the ones that had the pedigree, the educational background, the years of experience, and the respect of the faith community to be in the position that they were in. In their minds, they were the faithful, obedient son who followed all the commandments and enforced it in others. When they heard this parable of the obedient child, it would have been about them. They would have been like, yes, we are the first. We are the ones that obeyed. But Jesus, well, you know, we would have obeyed, but we would have never even said no. We would have just said yes and then obeyed. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you do not believe in him. But the tax collectors and, pro and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you do not repent and believe him. Tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you? Ahead of us? What? Tax collectors? Tax collectors were linked together in Jewish writings, often bracketed with thieves and sinners in general. So we see in the Bible the phrase tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were considered unpatriotic and were in contact with ritually unclean people, Gentiles. And so this, this was not to be. And tax collectors were known for extortion and taking more than what was required. 
They were seen so low that they weren't even part of the sinner's category, right? It was tax collectors and then sinners. And sinners wasn't even before tax collectors. It's tax collectors who are worse than sinners, by the way, and then sinners. And one interesting thing here is that Jesus doesn't say the usual phrase, tax collectors and sinners. He says tax collectors and prostitutes. And this is the only time in the Bible where the phrase tax collectors and prostitutes are mentioned together. And I think Jesus mentions prostitutes here because not only was prostitution considered wrong, for the priests who Jesus was talking to, there were very strict regulations against prostitution. A a priest could not, for instance, marry a prostitute, which seems kind of obvious, but that was a thing. And if the daughter of a priest committed prostitution, she would be burned to death. A young woman could be charged with prostitution and killed if her father's house cannot prove her virginity when when she was married. And, And the earnings of prostitution couldn't be given as an offering in the temple. So for the, for the uh, chief priests and elders, prostitutes would have been just, you know, yeah. So when the, pro- chief, when the chief priests and elders hear what Jesus says, it would have been unbelievable. They would have scoffed. Are you crazy, Jesus? They would have dismissed them like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You mean the people that are considered the furthest away from God are the ones who are part of God's kingdom? Not only are they included in God's kingdom as maybe one of the last stragglers coming in, but they're going to be the ones that come in before us who are the obedient one? The one who are blessed by God, the ones who hold power and position and, and prestige? Don't be ridiculous, Jesus. I was thinking, you know, who are the people in our current context that we would consider the furthest away from God? Drug dealers, pimps, or people like Jeffrey uh, Epstein and whoever. Just, Just imagine hearing Jesus saying to you that those you would imagine to be the furthest away from God are the very people that are going to enter into the kingdom of God before you. I would be like, no way, Jesus. Don't be silly. Verse 32, for John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Remember John the Baptist, the one that Jesus brought up when when he was questioned by the chief priests and the elders? Here Jesus says that John came to show them the way of righteousness, But they did not believe, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. John came to show the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness, that phrase was important. The priests and the religious leaders would have known about the way of righteousness. It was a common phrase that the Jewish people used to talk about their religious life. Psalm 85, righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Proverbs 8, I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of paths of justice. And in Isaiah 40, chapter 3, the voice of the one who calls out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a level highway in the desert desert for our God. Remember, we're talking about 
John the Baptist, who talked about the way. Look with me in Matthew 3, verses 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who spoke of who spoke who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Matthew makes the connection here of John the Baptist to the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was preparing the way of the righteousness that Jesus was talking about. And Jesus, by quoting John, aligns himself to what John has started and is pointing to himself as the one John was preparing the way for. And this is why later Jesus says to John when, when he is baptized by John that it was done to fulfill all righteousness. The way of righteousness is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This is why Christians were referred to as the people of the way. The way of righteousness is the kingdom of God fulfilled and shown in Jesus. He is the way. So what's the difference between the priests and their way of righteousness and that of Jesus? Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount that our righteousness needs to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. Which would just mean it's impossible because Pharisees kept all the rules. The difference here between the way Jesus and the way of the religious leaders was that of grace. The way of Jesus was for those who knew they were sick, who understood that they were broken, those who needed a savior. The way of the priests and religious leaders were that of rules, regulations, and the ability to follow the law. The way of righteousness is not about who... who, It's not about those who think they are righteous, but rather those who acknowledge their need for righteousness that comes as a gift and not earned. Where where John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance, the religious leaders would have heard it as something that was part of their also religious practice. Just as we have confession, repentance became a religious ritual, a, a practice that they can do to be rid of sin and appease the guilt. The priests would also practice ritual cleansing, kind of like baptism, but where they would wash themselves in, wa- in water to be ritually clean. But this kind of baptism that the Pharisees would do was that they would do it to themselves. It was never done to them, which was a, a big difference from theirs and John's and Jesus's. <clears throat> and the kind of repentance that John and Jesus preached was that of a Once for all repentance, a repentance that was so final and complete that you would walk away a different person. So we hear John stating that though though he baptizes in water, there will be another, that is Jesus, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This repentance and baptism will be so complete that the whole person will be transformed almost to the point of becoming a new person. That is what we use the phrase born again. At Young and Charles Street, which is just south of Bloor Street, there is a church called Sanctuary. They are a church for those within our society that are often forgotten and neglected, 
And uh, there's a pastor there named Greg Paul, which isn't this Greg Paul. It's funny that I, I thought about it after. Oh, Greg's middle name is also Paul. Right, so it's, it's, anyways, it's Greg Paul K, but Greg Paul is his last name, I think, Greg Paul. Anyways, so this other Greg Paul uh, was one of the founders of the church, and he shares a story about a couple named Mutt and Wendy. Both are drug addicts living on the street. Wendy turns tricks with some of her regular customers so that she can get enough money for her drug habit. Mutt and Wendy also have a rocky relationship. As Mutt started to get out of drugs and, and trying to lead a healthy or what a normal life can be, she, he also wanted to bring her along in that, in that journey. And Wendy would come along and, and stay with him, but she would relapse and, and sleep around for more money so that she could do more drugs. He would break down doors to find her half-stoned or wasted away and would try to rescue her from her pimp. But it got to a point where he had to let her go. And both are still connected to this church and have their good days and bad days. Mutt says he still loves Wendy, though, and is still watching over her from afar, making sure that she doesn't get into more trouble than she can handle. And they both follow Jesus and love Jesus in their own way. And Sanctuary is a church that both have people who are housed and those who are not, those who are addicted to alcohol and, and caffeine and other substances, those who have money and those who do not. And while reflecting on this story of Mutt and Wendy, Greg Paul asked himself the question of how do we recognize Jesus in the midst of the brokenness of life. And as he reflects on the story of Mutt and Wendy, he realized that that story mirrored a lot of the story of Hosea and Gomer, where God is the faithful husband, constantly seeking out and staying faithful to Gomer, the prostitute. And he tells his story because it was his way of understanding and seeing Jesus in the midst of those who the world would say is God forsaken. God opened his eyes and, and his ears to see the kingdom of God breaking through and Jesus being present with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, drug addicts, and people that our world would say are not good enough. So the way of righteousness is not through might, it's not through following rules, it's not by being good, a good religious person. It is through Jesus who is with us in the midst of our brokenness and not when we are good enough. Could it be that Jesus himself uses the phrase tax collectors and prostitutes as a reference to the story of Hosea and Gomer? It might be a, a, a stretch in the... Um, exegetical world to do so. But one thing we know from the life of Jesus is that he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and broke bread with them. 
in the last few weeks, if you've been watching us online, you've noticed that we've had this you know, small dancing Jesus figurine on the stage, and, and we've hidden him around the stage and to try to engage our children. And some, you know, it might feel a little bit like, oh, that's, that's kind of, I don't know if we should be doing that. But one thing that I found to be profound whenever we at, I was standing here and I would ask uh, you know, the kids, so where was Jesus? Were you able to find him? That, to me, was a profound question that we need to ask ourselves. Where is Jesus? Who is Jesus spending time with? R.T. Francis, one, one commentator, writes that the chief priests and elders did not just fail in their sincerity of faith, but as the leaders of God's people, they failed to recognize and welcome God's saving action in the person of Jesus to which the outcasts had eagerly responded. Let us have ears to hear and the eyes to see where Jesus is right now. What might he be asking us to listen to, to pay attention to? How may we respond with the ears of faith and the eyes of Jesus to see where, but more importantly, who Jesus is with right now? It would be silly for me to not recognize that I am a church leader, that I am a place, in a place of leadership. I am, after all, one of the co-leaders, right? Co-lead pastors here. So, so how do I hear the words of Jesus with the years to hear so that I may be a child who obeys? How do I not let my own status and privilege get in the way of Jesus or others to the kingdom? How do I stay connected to Jesus, recognizing my own need for him? How do I continue to live in the way of righteousness? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expresses through his teaching a a different way of looking at righteousness. It's not that the law shouldn't be followed, but rather that the law was fulfilled in Jesus. Instead of following the law as a way to be righteous, Jesus has shown us the spirit of the law, which is summed up in two laws of to love God, and to love our neighbor. The way of righteousness is in repentance to our own way of living and submitting to the way of Christ. It is dying to ourselves and being born anew as the children of God that reflect the heart of God as we love him and our neighbors. Our neighbors aren't just those who look like us, talk like us, or smell like us, or dress like us. They're they're all part of God's family, and even those we may consider our enemies. And, you know, one of the reasons why I thought of sanctuary was because when I was reflecting on this passage, I asked myself this question, where are the tax collectors and prostitutes of our day now repenting repenting and turning to God? Because that is what I need to be aware of. And that is where I need to pay attention to. Who are the people that are excluded from the kingdom of God now? And who are those that are welcoming them? You know, I thought of some of our vocational missionaries and also some of the organizations we support. And like the places like the Dale, who, who don't have a building as a church, but they are the church within their streets you know, people working at YU and, and reaching out to young people who are also marginalized. I thought about Caitlin, you know, 
and Jen, you know, Jen, Jen does like, you know, so much hospitality in, in the places she, she stays at and she, she takes care of. And like Christian refugee house, Chris, Christie refugee house, sorry. All these, all these uh, vocational missionaries and, and, the, and, and organizations that we support are places where people are turning to God and they're welcoming them. Those are the people we need to pay attention to and discern if the kingdom of God is breaking through. We need to be willing to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what Christ is doing in our world now. Who do we keep out of God's kingdom? Who do we think are those that are furthest away from God? I remember at one of our leadership team meetings way, way back, this was when Gene was around, and um, we were trying to discern whether or not we should uncouple baptism from membership. And I still remember that day because we were reflecting and praying and listening to God. And one phrase came out of that meeting that, that kind of stuck with me. And to me, that was one of the kind of the impetus for us to kind of uncouple that, the membership from our baptism. And it was the phrase, God accepts more people than we do. God accepts more people than we do. Let's pray. God, you do accept more people than we do. You accept us, but you also accept people who we think are unacceptable. You see beyond the labels that we place on ourselves and on one another of tax collector, prostitute, chief priest, elder, and you see us as your children. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes of Christ, that we would see one another as your beloved children. That you would humble us any time we think we are better than or have made it, or when we say things like, how can, they, how can those people be like that? Help us to have the eyes to see the humanity in others, the image of God in which they are made in. Give us eyes and hearts and the ears to hear the places and then the people you are working right now so that we could join you in it. Thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom that is breaking through in places of darkness whether it's our own darkness or in the darkness in our world, God, you are working through and in those places. So give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see, to see you in those places and to join you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.